What is up, Brewers fans? Welcome to the Barrel Banter. I am back this week. Your host, Peter Go. David, how are you today? Doing pretty well. Enjoying some good baseball. The, the World Baseball Classic, of course, going on right now. There have been some really good games. We had the the first two pools were. I guess they're probably more exciting if you're in Asia or if you're one of the European fans. And then the the North and South American brackets started up yesterday as we record this on Sunday night. Great game between Venezuela and the Dominican Republic. And and in the bracket with both the European and Asian teams, Team Italy advanced. So Sal Freilich and Brewers minor leaguer Michele Vassalotti, uh, who's a pitcher who I had not heard of before the World Baseball Classic. They both advanced. Uh, but it is exciting to see that. The spring training's in full swing. Talked about that a little bit last week, but we're going to go more into updates of that. So all things considered, doing pretty well. Yeah, we'll have a good episode today. We are going to cover updates on the World Baseball Classic, uh, like David alluded to a little bit there. And then a quick update on some of the positional battles, which I think is probably the biggest storyline to watch in spring training, besides, uh, I guess, healthiness and injuries. So we'll touch on that, and then we will do our annual, second annual, um, non-roster invitee draft. We're opening it up a little bit more. We'll have parameters around that, uh, but we'll have the option to select the likes of Lucas Urseg, Eddie Alvarez, Jonathan Singleton, or John Singleton, Monty Harrison, all the names alike, amongst uh, others as well. So that'll be at the end of the podcast today. Uh, but before we get to any of that, David, who is today's random player of the day? Today's random player of the day is Delmar Crandall. Del Crandall, you know, I, I've never heard of anyone else named Delmar, so I wanted to point out that his name is uh, Delmar. He's the only person who played for the Milwaukee Braves and managed the Brewers. He played for the Braves for a while, for, for the, the most part of their 13-year run in Milwaukee, and during that time he was an 11-time All-Star and a four-time Gold Glover. He was a starting catcher on the Braves' 57 World Series team. He was, he was one of their better players. He was just an okay hitter, but he was a very good defensive catcher. Uh, he died a couple years ago at the age of 91 and would have celebrated his birthday a couple days ago. So that's why I had him on my mind. And he went 271 and 338 across four years as the Brewers' manager. A few fun facts about Del Crandall. His parents worked in the citrus packaging industry, according to his Wikipedia page. He was the Brewers color commentator from 92 to 94. So he was actually the predecessor to Bill Schroeder. Bill Schroeder is now in his 20, how many, 28th year, 29th year. Been here for a while. And he actually was the last living player of the Boston Braves, who, of course, were the ones that came to Milwaukee. So 52 was there last year. He played a couple of years in Boston before coming over to Milwaukee with the Braves. Wow, didn't didn't realize, I actually didn't realize he was a color commentator for the Brewers at all, or I, I didn't know he was the last remaining Boston Brave, but that sort of makes sense. Uh, did also sign autographs through the mail, I know. Growing up, I've got a card from him from the 50s or 60s that's signed in a very 60s style signature, but a cool piece to have in my uh, collection uh, that I that I got back when I was a kid and would send out cards to players. If I remember correctly, you also have a signed piece of paper from him? Probably. Like, uh, probably. Who knows? Sent, like a piece of paper and he signed it. I, <laughs> I don't know why. but Oh, I think, I, yeah. I, I, I don't think I, I, think I sent it for like connection. I don't think so. I don't think I, I did. But I think I sent the piece of paper like as 
a protection piece. And then I think he, you're right. I think he signed that too. So not, not exactly sure what I'll do with that, but Del Crandall today's random player of the day. Uh, so while we're on the topic of the world baseball classic, today's trivia question is world baseball classic themed. David, what year was the first world baseball classic? Am I supposed to answer that right now or at the end? Yes. Oh, right, right. Okay, well, you're right. Sorry, we normally do it at the end, but I guess we'll we'll break it up this time and do it now, and, and then uh, we'll jump into the updates. Okay, 2006. That is correct. I was very confident you would be able to land that one. 2006, first World Baseball Classic. I think it's been great that they've added that. Um, certainly, especially, I would say, without baseball being in the Olympics for some time, even more the case, but still, it's a... It's a good way to build baseball across the world, uh, both for countries where it's not super popular and countries where it is more popular. And you get the powerhouse teams that we've seen in the past and in this year. And then you also get an electrician from Czech Republic striking out Shohei Otani. Like, like where else are you going to see that? Uh, or even David yourself, uh, you were potentially close to being able to participate in the World Baseball Classic qualifiers yourself, which would have been a, certainly a really cool um, accomplishment and achievement as well. Yeah, I was disappointed they were, um, were our, our dad is from the Philippines, so we're eligible. And they were going to be in the qualifiers in 2020, which I, I wasn't going to be on that roster. I was still in high school at the time. But then they were planning on keeping the same teams for this round that they had in 2022. And then they, they kept 11 of the 12 countries and they left out the Philippines, replaced them with Argentina, who didn't really do anything notable in the qualifiers. Um, so I was kind of disappointed about that. It was I hadn't been formally invited, but it, all signs were pointing towards that. So maybe twenty, I think twenty twenty six, they're planning on having another World Baseball Classic. So maybe maybe they'll decide to include the Philippines. Maybe they'll expand the field a little bit. I think it'd be worth it to expand the field. If you think about and we don't have to go get into all the economics of it. But if you think about how much it costs for MLB to pay for the countries to participate, the cost isn't that much. And if it raises baseball in popularity by 1% in that country, wouldn't that pay off in terms of revenue that comes in for MLB? Yeah, potentially. Or just, I mean, think about how global the NBA is, for example, which I think is the most global of any besides maybe uh, soccer, but certainly not U.S. soccer. Um, but at least as far as the U.S. sports, certainly the NBA, I mean, they're uh, extremely spread across the globe. So I, I think MLB could certainly take a, a page out of NBA's book and see if they could grow beyond just the U.S. and some of the other com countries that, that tend to either watch baseball or play it themselves. But yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. You go 2026, I guess I didn't, I didn't necessarily rule that out. Am I, would I still be eligible or am I, I, I can be the, I can be that electrician who comes in and, <laughs> and strikes somebody notable out. <laughs> you could, I mean, you'd have to rediscover your 67 mile an hour changeup that you had in high school. That, I don't know, my cutter, I, I think oh, my, my cutter. My that would, cutter. That would yeah. probably be the pitch. Jam yep. Otani on 76 <laughs> in on the hands. I mean, to be fair, that, that electrician topped at 79. So I could top, I could still top at 79 easily so? now. So 20, oh, 20, 20, I could easily, I could easily do it. I play enough dodgeball like once a month. Uh, definitely 79. Easy. Uh, I'll, I'll go on the record now in 2026. If you give me a couple weeks notice, I could hit 79 again. If okay. not, I'll be quite disappointed in myself. I'll charge so. you a hundred dollars an hour for pitching lessons. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds good. We'll, we'll make it happen. So 
with that, uh, you already shared some of the, the updates as far as team play, South Relic, uh, Wei Chung Wong, who you were very excited to see, three innings, five earned runs, actually giving up, I believe, a two-run double against South Relic. I, when, when, you, uh, when we were talking about that, I said the, the passing of the baton, the, the face of the 2014 Brewers, passing <laughs> that to the future of the, of the Brewers in South Relic. Uh, but any, what, other, what other, besides that, what other uh, notable things went on in the World Baseball Classic so far? Well, I think the most notable thing about Wei Chung Wong is they had the chance to use him on a Wednesday. They saved him for Friday, and it didn't pan out. He came in, in out of the bullpen, so he didn't start, but they saved him for Friday, and it didn't work, and he blew the lead to Team Italy. Although, if it's going to be someone that he allows a two-run double to, Sal Freilich is probably the person I would choose. I, I said at the beginning of the tournament that I wanted to see Wei Chung Wong, and I wanted to see Sal Freilich. So I did get to see them. Freilich grounded out against Wong, and then later on he hit a two-run double. So you win some, you lose some. I guess I guess I got what I wanted, one out and one hit with the matchup. But Vasilodi, the uh, previously mentioned pitcher for Team Italy, he went four innings, one run in his start. I forget who he started against. The more impressive outing, though, was from reigning Brewers minor league pitcher of the year, Carlos Rodriguez. He was pitching for Team Nicaragua, and he went four innings, one earned run against Puerto Rico, who's one of the better teams in, in the WBC, probably a top five team. They've got Lindor. He, he struck out Javi Baez on a breaking ball that was like 12 feet outside. So what's new? Um, I think Javi Baez was hitting seventh for Team Puerto Rico. He, yeah, it, was, it wasn't great for, uh, for uh, Baez. Maybe, maybe perhaps some bad blood between him and his manager, former rival Yadier Molina. John Axford well, threw a scoreless inning. He's how old is John Axford? Take a guess. He's oof. Let's see. He pitched in 2011. I think he debuted like 2010. Um, so let's say he is 37. 39. Okay. And his middle name and, is Burton. That's fitting. And and the the Oscars uh, is oh yeah tonight. Is it tonight? I, sorry, I I'm think not, so. I mean, I hope nobody's offended by the fact I didn't know. I think it is tonight. For the baseball fans out there, there's uh, one of the, the directors who has a chance to win uh, an award. Sorry, I'm showing how much I know about the Oscars. Was the creator of Big League Chew. Um, so for the for for baseball fans, there's an article on Wall Street Journal that talks about he was a bat boy in the 70s uh, for a minor league team with Jim Bouton and some mm -hmm. other players. Ended up creating Big League Chew, and now he's gone on to be a movie director. Um, so yeah, kind of a random baseball connection to the Oscars, but also. John Axford, of course, um, more famous uh, than than uh, than just about anything, um, is his ability to to select the Oscar selections. I would assume he probably has been uh, busy making those selections, but I was actually really glad to see that he was able to even just appear in the World Baseball Classic because, of course, he had the one appearance with the Brewers and then blew up the elbow, rehabbed at his age, um, just to try to play for Team Canada and was able to achieve that goal. So I was I was happy to see that. Uh, even though it may not necessarily mean a lot in, I guess, the, the scorebook. I think it meant a lot for him to be able to come back, prove himself that he could get back and play. And that might be the last time he stepped on the diamond, uh, you know, in a competitive fashion as well. Mm -hmm. You never know. So that's, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, Rowdy and Luis are playing against Team USA right now. I hope they get a chance to face Devin Williams, but they both grounded out in the first inning. We're recording this around 930. 
on Sunday night. So, well, definitely. I, I don't think I'll be staying up for the end of that game, but I'm definitely going to see I'll, like watch it if if Williams pitches. Yeah, I, I'll definitely see. I would like to see a, a. I would and I wouldn't like to see Devin Williams versus Tillads because I could probably already tell you like what's going to happen. I feel like it'd be like first pitch change up, like giant swing and a miss from Rowdy, and then like I feel like. Either either Williams would just go with three soft changeups, like strike one, strike two, strike three, or he might throw like some high heat in there, maybe a chain, swing and a miss, strike one, then high fastball, uh, can't catch up, strike two, and then drops the changeup bottom, uh, bottom uh, hits his spot bottom corner of the zone for a, a, a backwards K, and, and Rowdy goes down. I'm not, unless I guess unless Devin hangs the changeup, that's probably about the only other scenario. I feel like that's or if the, he throws that cutter slider thing he has. Then there's about a 80% chance he allows a hit. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. So we'll continue to have more World Baseball Classic updates as, as it goes. Seems like it's been a pretty a pretty entertaining start to the WBC. Um, it's been fun to see as we get ready for opening day. So I'm actually really excited to talk about uh, an update on the positional battles. You did a great job, David, uh, breaking that down on last episode. wasn't able to be there. But really we're looking at four bench spots three spots in the bullpen. And this is really what spring training was about as far as construction of the roster. So looking at first the bench, we've got four spots. You've got Mike Brasso, Abraham Toro, Owen Miller, Bryce Turing, Keston Hira, Tyler Naquin, Luke Voigt, and Sal Freilich. So David, in your last episode, I know you said, to, in your opinion, Brasso was a lock to make that. I would agree. I think it's uh, pretty much a certainty that Brasso makes the roster based on his performance last year. And I think how he fits also into um, the Brewers infield as well. Um, he's proven himself. So I think we both agree Brasso is probably in there. So we're looking at three remaining spots. I think this is where it gets interesting. So we've got Toro, Miller, uh, Turing, Kira, Naquin, Voigt, and Freilich. Um, let's start with Keston Hira. You talked about the potential for him to be traded. Um, he's hitting 150 this spring training, 35% strikeout rate. He only has one extra base hit. And we're talking about 20 EB, so this is an extremely small sample size. But also, he hasn't exactly uh, knocked the cover off the ball. So does this change anything as far as whether you think he makes the roster, whether the Brewers trade him now or later in the season? What are your thoughts for Keston? It's possible because the Brewers have to decide on Luke Voigt by this upcoming Thursday. He makes the roster. I don't really think there's room on the roster for both. Keston and Voigt would kind of take the same ABs. They're both right-handed hitters. I know Keston has the reverse splits, but he's um, they've always liked playing him against lefties, even if he doesn't have the the good lefty or righty on lefty splits. Do you do you keep Keston and Voigt when both of them really just play first base, and they're both right-handed hitters? I don't know that that makes sense. I, I kind of would rather see them just trade Keston. I, I mentioned that last week. I'd, I'd rather see them trade Keston, give him some at-bats. I'd be curious to see what would happen if he got at-bats from righties only instead of righties and lefties. But I don't know that the Brewers have those at-bats. They're not going to hand over right-handed pitcher at-bats from Rowdy or take him away from Rowdy. They're not going to take him away from Winker. Keston's not going to go play left or right field. He's not going to play second base regularly. So those at-bats just aren't really there. So I think the only way that you're going to actually tap into his upside is by trading him. I think that makes the most sense, even though it's it's kind of a, an unfortunate and disappointing 
sequence that is unfolded for Keston. I mean, he was, I don't know if I'd say a, like a budding star in 2019, but he was a very good hitter. He was expected to be their second best hitter going into 2020 when, when he was there with Yelich. And of course, both of them underperformed. But he, even though he did get back on track a little bit last year, he's got such a weird profile. And I think he could fit. I think there's a spot for him in a major league organization and in the major leagues producing with, I think, at least somewhat regular at-bats. But I just don't know that that spot is in the Brewers organization. Yeah, I think, it, just like you said, his profile just doesn't fit the Brewers roster going in, at least at this point. I mean, injuries could change that. Um, I really probably would agree with you. I think trading Keston, even if we're not going to get a big return, makes a lot of sense. I like Voight. I like his option off the bench. He's had power over the last couple of years. Um, league leader in 2020 from home runs perspective. So he has a little pop off the bench, a little Russell Brannion in him. Uh, love to see every, that on the bench. Every so. bench player with power. <laughs> Reminiscent uh, so, exactly. Got to throw on the Russell Brannion. How do we pop. never talk about Lance Nix? He had power, didn't he? I feel like he was like a really muscular guy, but I, I can't I can't think of him as being a guy who I don't think he really had a lot of power. Uh, oh, maybe it's because he only played he had sixty one abs with the Brewers. I mean, he had more power than like Brad Nelson. He I did guess, hit a home run. Okay, maybe never mind. See, I, <laughs> I I I'm like I'm old enough to remember Lance Nix, but not well. So, well, I guess maybe nobody remembers Lance Nix well. Who was a Brewer fan? True. So that's true. okay, that's maybe true. I maybe I was wrong. Russell Brandon. Yes, Russell. You know, Russell Brandon was on the '90s Indians teams. Well, sort of. He came in at the end of their run. Huh. He was like not. the top prospect or one of the top prospects when they were really good. Hmm. I didn't he know came that he was even five hundred with the Brewers. Yeah, I didn't even know he was uh, that a top prospect. Interesting. There's a mini random player of the day for you there, Russell Brandon. So, uh, so yeah, I think I think uh, I'm on board with you too. I think I like Luke Voigt over Hira. Uh, if we can flip Hira for something, I think that makes sense. And yeah, he has the potential to to at least be a decent player somewhere, a decent bat that is, uh, especially with the universal DH. That certainly helps him as well. So I would like to see Voigt, but I agree I, we're not going to see both. So we'll see one of the two, and I think it just comes down to whether they can trade Hira for something. On the one hand. If they really can't trade Hira for something, like, do I still like Voight better than Hira, even if we can't trade Keston? I, I kind of do. Probably. Um, as much as I hate to see Keston go for nothing, uh, I, if we're only looking at 2023 going into this at this point, I would say Luke Voight's the better option. Um, so, yeah, I think we're both on the same page. One of the two there, of course, Tyrone Taylor won't be on the opening day roster, so it opens up a spot potentially for a guy like Tyler Nockwin. Um, but there's also some... Uh, mix and match guys who can play infield outfield. So how do you see that spot uh, filling up? I think the most likely scenario is they turn it over to Naquin. He's got a little bit of experience in center, but he's more of a corner guy. He's, I, I think the Brewers have to keep him on the roster in order to keep him. So I think that's why they'll keep him. Taylor's starting out on the aisle. I would really prefer that they give that spot to Freilich. Freilich was good in the, the limited time he had in spring training. And then he's 7 for 18 so far with Team Italy. I mean, take that with a grain of salt. The pitching is is different in the WBC. I mean, you'll face a major league arm one day, and then you'll face an electrician for an arm the next day. <laughs> but, I mean, he's still he's hit 389. 
he was playing like Team Taiwan, Team Netherlands, Team um, Cuba. Like those those don't have guys that have day jobs playing for him, especially some of the better pitchers. So they're they're legit professionals. I I love his swing. He's going to produce defensively more than Naquin is. Also, he he's got better versatility. His, I don't know about his arm, but he's definitely got more range, and of course, he's got a lot more upside. Not to mention that if they, I think I may have mentioned this last week, but if yeah. they keep him on the opening day roster and he ends up finishing top three for rookie of the year, they could end up getting draft pick compensation, which is a weird new rule to incentivize teams keeping their best players on opening day. If you want to go to Milwaukee with the best roster, if you want to open up the year, or Chicago, I suppose, for opening day with the the best 26 players, Sal Freilich is absolutely one of your best 26 players that you have. So if you want to go that route and just have the best players, especially in a in a what could be tightly contested NL Central with the Cardinals, you have to go to go to opening day with Freilich. But I'm a little worried they might want to preserve the depth and keep Naquin, even though I think we do have plenty of outfield depth already. And yeah. Owen Miller's been playing center. We'll talk about him in a little bit. But yeah, I, I really hope Freilich is is the opening day center or right fielder. And if the Brewers do keep Freilich in AAA, remind me again, how long would they have to keep him down there, service time-wise? Uh, for about um, three weeks to a month, if they want to prolong his free agency for a year. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I could see it. If I'm, if I'm logically thinking about the Brewers, here's the scenario I see playing out. You know, you keep Tyler Naquin, you put Freilich in AAA, Taylor comes back from the IL, and then you, you bring in, you bring back Taylor, and then Freilich comes up once he's, once you're past the, the service calendar and you get an extra year of Freilich. I, but, but I do really think that actually that, that rule is enticing. I mean, What's Freilich's odds of being top three in the Rookie of the Year voting? I mean, it's definitely decent. Um, there's he's not the only top prospect that could, you know, um, make make time on the field this year in the NL. But top three, not just winning the Rookie of the Year, top three. I think there's definitely a chance he could do that, and it, it's not a trivial compensation. It's a, basically a almost like a first round pick. So right. it is, I think, something to consider as well. It's not one sided like it was before. So. Uh, any, anyways, no, no more time needed to spend on that. Let's talk about Owen Miller, Bryce Turing, Abraham Toro. Um, we basically have agreed upon. We got Brasso in one of those spots, one of those four, Keston or Voigt in the second of the two, and then probably Tyler Naquin or Sal Freelich in number three. So we leave one spot here for uh, more of an infielder type. Abraham Toro, Owen Miller, Bryce Turing. You talked about Miller playing some outfield. He certainly has the depth. Uh, Turing, of course, has probably higher upside of the three, uh, Brewers prospect, but more of an infielder. And then Abraham Toro, who I believe still has options, also hasn't performed very well. Seems like the obvious one to start in AAA. I think we can both pretty much agree on that. I think it really more so comes down to Miller and Turing. Is that safe to say? Mm-hmm. I think so. All three of them have minor league options remaining. So they have that flexibility, uh, assuming they decide to keep, or, or I mean, if you, if you kind of narrow it down this way, they all have minor league options, all these three. They all can play second, short, and third. Toro's not really a shortstop, though. He's more second and third. So he has that disadvantage compared to Miller and Turing. Turing's probably the best defensive player on here. And Miller and Turing both have experience in center. 
Miller's been kind of learning center field on the fly in spring training. He's hitting 400. He's, he's at, he has 20 at-bats, but, I mean, still 8 for 20. Four doubles, so half extra base hits, and only one strikeout, which I think is the most impressive part of his his spring training so far has been only one strikeout in 20 at-bats. So, I mean, with the way he's playing, how can you keep him off the opening day roster, especially if he continues this? Turing, I mean, he's he's played well so far, about a similar amount of playing time, 318 average with a 500 slug. So, I mean, Turing's really played pretty well, too. It's not a bad problem to have. But I think with Owen Miller having the major league experience, you can't really go wrong with either Miller or Turing. I think they decide to go with Miller, especially if he continues to have a very good spring. Yeah, and then it goes back to, again, the service time as well. If, if it's kind of... Miller two rings about equal. Let's give Miller the shot first, and if a month in he's not producing, great. We've got a similar option in two ring, not to mention similar position. I mean, I I really like the Brewers outfield depth, depth in general on the position player side. I think is pretty solid, um, especially when you get Tyrone Taylor back. I mean, you think about the Brewers outfield with, of course, Yelich, Mitchell, Freilich at some point. Throw Jesse Winker in there as well, and then you've got guys like uh, Miller. And Turing, who can also play some center field, Tyler Naquin. I, like I, I, the Brewers outfield depth is strong. I'm not really too concerned about that. Of course, injuries can can change that pretty quickly. Um, but I really think the Brewers have really good outfield depth. And I would generally, I think, I like, I'd like to see Turing. And and you talked about it last week that he's kind of proven himself in AAA. I'm not sure what else he has to prove. I think it's just a matter of Owen Miller potentially outplaying him a little bit in the spring and the service calendar. So I would say I would make the prediction that Owen Miller makes the opening day roster, which uh, I believe you, you threw out the possibility of um, Miller having a bit of a breakout year, not in the sense of being the star of the Brewers, but perhaps he could be a guy uh, like we've talked about potentially even leading the Brewers offense in batting average, a guy who doesn't strike out a lot as, as we've seen. Isn't that the prediction you made when you were a guest? That is true. That was, that is true. You, you made so that was, Yes, yes, that's true. That's true. With with consultation, oh. with consultation from yeah, yeah, yeah. You wrote my, so another one that was it that you ghost wrote my my what was it my parting thoughts last time? So I yes. ghost wrote your preseason prediction. There we go. You, one, you one I last, will say you did. One last thing I wanted to add about the prospects and two ring and Freilich in particular. I I want to see them keep at least one on the opening day roster, but I understand if they don't want to keep both. Because Turing is so Turing's a primary second baseman. Freilich's a primary outfielder, probably right field, uh, given their positions right now. With Urias kind of bouncing between second and third, if you start, if you have Turing, you want him to get pretty regular at bats. So you have Turing mostly play second, Urias mostly play third, and then Brian Anderson mostly playing right. But is there a spot for Freilich? I mean, you can create at bats for Freilich. But you're not going to get everyday at-bats for Freilich and Turing. But if you start with Freilich, then Anderson at third, Urias at second. Then are there everyday at-bats for Turing? Not really. So then you might want to go with yeah. Owen Miller instead. I, think, I think that might be a consideration. And that's kind of a good problem to have as far as versatility with those players bouncing around those different positions. But it, it probably plays a factor as well. You're right. And I think Freilich, if, I think that situation is harder to see Turing getting at-bats than the opposite. Freilich will find his way into the lineup as a, as a bigger prospect than Turing. 
Um, so I think, yeah, if Freilich does make the roster, which I, I personally think is unlikely that the Brewers would do that, knowing the organization. But if he does, I would say it's unlikely Turing does as well. It's a good point. So on the on the pitching side, there's three spots open. Your prediction last week was Javi Guerra, Bryce Wilson, and Yoel Piamps. Any change on that based on stuff that you've seen over the past week in spring training from any of the players? No, not really. Guerra's been with Team Panama in the World Baseball Classic, so I think he'll be coming back now that Panama was eliminated after they tied with everyone else in Pool A. But he got he, he threw two outings, no runs, got a save. He was sitting upper nines with a upper upper nineties with a a really good slider. So I, I, I he his numbers weren't good in his sixteen innings with the Rays, but I want to see what he can do. He was good in Triple A. I think he'd be a good arm to have. I mean, ninety eight ninety nine on a sinker with a pretty good slider, usually tends to play at the major league level. Bryce Wilson's been pretty good so far this spring. Three innings, no runs, four strikeouts. And Yoel Piams hasn't been great, but I think Piams has a leg up on everyone else. He's out of options. He's had major league success, had a 3-2-3 ERA across 55 innings last year. So I think Piams is almost a lock, as long as he doesn't have a, a horrible rest of his spring. I think Piamps will make it. So I would say I'll, I'll stick with my, my prediction of Piamps, Guerra, and Wilson. Yeah, I think Piamps likely makes it, like you said, based off of the experience. Guerra's got the stuff. I would, I'd like to see Jake Cousins in the majors, and maybe that's just the 2021 bias. But, I mean, he was good. I mean, yeah. he, was, he was really good in 2021. So with relievers, you know, you see a greater fluctuation in performance. But – I, that almost feels like it deserves a, an opening day spot for Cousins to sort of lose the spot versus having to, to beat out guys like Gus Marlin, Piguero, Junk, uh, and Tyson Miller. Tyson Miller actually has had a good spring, six innings without any runs, giving up nine Ks and a walk. So he's been good. I don't think that gets him on the roster. And then Robert Stock is another name to keep in mind. I don't think he'll make the roster, but he's a guy who actually will appear uh, perhaps later in our draft coming up. But I think, like I said, Piamps I think is likely going to make it. And then I would go with Jake Cousins, like I said, primarily based off of the success he had in 2021 to see if he can replicate that. And then I'd have to go with Guerra, like you said, his his stuff get, at least gets him in the conversation, gets him on the field. Whether he can continue to perform based off of that is, is still to be seen, but he's certainly an intriguing arm. And those would be my predictions for the three open pitching spots. How long will it take until every time I hear Jansen Junk, I don't just think about his name? Ever, probably. You think so? Well, unless he, like, comes up and actually performs well, I guess. Then then I feel like there would be, like, he's the kind of guy who there would be, like, unnecessary amount of puns used in, like, newspaper headlines. <laughs> I mean, do you That's, like, on Twitter. That's, like, on Twitter, though. I mean, like, you open, like, the Wall... The, not the Wall Street Journal. The Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, like, growing up. And I remember, like, I don't even... I can't think of any off the top of my head, but, like... They would use the puns in yeah. the last names, Brewer, like, and they Brewer's would use lent, the same ones. Brewers lent a, a helping hand when Donovan Hand debuted. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, I remember walking into Christmas and our cousin-in-law said, we were t- like, our first conversation was about the Brewers. And he said, well, we acquired literal junk for Renfro. So yes. it is beyond the Twitter sphere, apparently. Okay, okay. It is beyond the Twitter sphere. Okay, sounds sounds good. Speaking of of junk, non roster invitees. Come on. So the Brewers, <laughs> the Brewers, uh, of course, like every other team, 
with a plethora of non-roster invitees. Uh, and we've got our, we're back this year for our non-roster invitee draft. Uh, we're going to expand it a little bit, David, this year. So why don't you share for our listeners how it'll be changed slightly this year? Uh, well, first off, you were talking about how you sit in the upper 70s. And then you talked about how the non-roster invites that are like 97 to 98 are junk. So I just want to just want to offer that up there. Um, that was that was for in case any of these guys are listening to the podcast. Is that is that what that was yeah. a disclaimer? Well, probably more more so if their moms are listening to the podcast because I get That's more true. I get more interactions from players' moms than I do themselves actually. Like Ethan Small's mom liked my tweet about being excited that that Ethan Small what Ethan Small could do in the pen. I think Robert Gasser's mom maybe liked uh, one of my posts. Uh, I, I've had I've had numerous moms. So to all the moms out there, if you're listening, including our moms, I guess our mom singular, mom. I guess, <laughs> since she always listens, yes. just want to shout her out. Yes, yes, but, absolutely. Yeah, we did expand the criteria from last year. Last year, Peter won. So give a round of applause in your wherever you're at for Peter for winning <laughs> that with his basically solely because of his Jason Alexander pitch pick. Excuse me. The winner is whichever team has most combined plate appearances as a hitter plus batters face as a pitcher. So if Lucas Erceg faces 77 batters in 2023, that would be 77 points for whomever drafted Lucas Erceg. Or if Brian Navarreto has 98 plate appearances, then you add that to Lucas Erceg's total. And I, if those were the only two guys, then I finished with 175 points. So whoever has the most points then wins based on that criteria. It's all Noster, excuse Nosters, non-roster invitees that aren't prospects. So no Sal Freilich, no Joey Weimer, none of those guys. But I did include some organizational guys like Lucas Ursag or someone like Tyler, Tyler Herb or Herb. I'm not sure which one. <laughs> Another great pun name. Wow, the Brewers have great ones. Robert Gasser. Jansen, Jansen Junk, Tyler Herb, um, Robert Stock. I'm sure you could fit something into that. Sky Bolt. Sky Bolt. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So. All right. Uh, sorry. I'm <laughs> distracted when we're recording at almost 10 p.m. on a Sunday night. But Peter's going to get the first pick. We'll each draft six players, and we'll briefly discuss our picks, have the Mel Kuyper Jr. draft analysis coming. Um, see, so we won't have a moving screen with the top players available on the big board, but we will each draft six and we'll just go back and forth. Peter will start. So Peter, we're going to put you on the clock for the first pick. All right. That sounds great. And uh, I think we've got 19 eligible players. Like you said, that we'll draft six each. Um, and with the first overall selection of the non-roster invitee, non-prospect draft of the 2023 draft, Peter, uh, Peter Go will select Tyler Naquin. We talked about Naquin, of course, uh, just in our last uh, episode, or excuse me, our last story. I think there's a chance he makes the opening day roster. Even if he doesn't, I think he gets some playing time. I think it's a pretty safe bet. There is, of course, the chance that he doesn't make the opening day roster, at which point he could skip town and we could never see Tyler Naquin step on the field for the Brewers. So a bit of a risk with the first pick, um, but I think there's definitely a chance we see a considerable amount of plate appearances, especially before Tyrone Taylor and or Sal Freelich uh, step on the, the major league field for the Brewers. 
You hear all the booing from the fans for that pick? <laughs> heard no, they were they were booing the commissioner. Oh. When you were up there, they were booing because of you. Who's the commissioner of our draft? The fans collectively. I or we could nominate Jason Alexander since he was the True. the best player I mean, last he, year. Yeah. Maybe we should rename it the the Jason Alexander draft instead of the nine syllable long name that you came up with. We'll have to we'll have to go to the drawing board for that one. Okay. Yeah, good the call. Jason Alexander Rule Seven draft or something. There we go. With my first pick, I am going to go with Luke Voigt, similar situation to Tyler Naquin, where we may see him a lot, we may never really see him. But he, to me, to me, he had just too big of a track record to ignore uh, compared to the other guys. 2020, he led all of MLB with 22 home runs in the shortened year. Even 2021, he still had a 764 OPS. And last year, he was he was okay. I mean, he was he wasn't great, but he was still a an above average hitter. I mean, he's a first baseman, so you need a little bit better than above average. But an above average hitter at the major league level. Like, that's still a pretty useful player, especially coming off the bench. So, I like Luke Voigt. I, I think Voigt, I think he will make the team. So, Luke Voigt could end up carrying my team to victory in this draft when we're, when we're looking back on it at the end of the year. But he also could be the, kind of the, oof, that was a bad first overall pick. I think last year I took Rex Brothers with my first overall pick. And if you remember Rex Brothers 2023, season with the Brewers, it's it's because he didn't have one. So, Bryce <laughs> Brothers was not a very good pick last year, but hopefully Luke Voigt is better this year. Yeah, I think that's a, that was a good pick. I was going between Voigt and uh, Tyler Naquin, but I figured I feel like there's a better chance, a much higher chance Naquin appears for the Brewers, but Voigt has higher upside for sure. Um, could potentially get more ABs. I, just, I think it depends on whether the Brewers can either swing a Keston trade or cut ties with him. So, with my second selection in the draft, I'm going to go uh, to the pitcher's mound here, a pitcher we were just talking about briefly, right-handed pitcher who will be likely coming out of the bullpen if he does appear, and that is Robert Stock. Uh, it's kind of been around town over the last couple of years. Uh, in 2018, debuted with the Padres, played for the Red Sox, Cubs, Mets before his time here in Milwaukee. So I think there's a chance we get to see Robert Stock this year. You never know what the bullpen's going to look like. There's going to be injuries. There's going to be guys who pitch well and other guys who don't. So I think there's a chance we see Robert Stock at some point in the season, and uh, that's my take on why I'm selecting Robert Stock at the number two pick. Yeah, he was he was next on my list, so perhaps we should have swung a draft day trade. Trade <laughs> it up for – I'll give you the – I don't know when our next draft will be, what we'll, what we'll draft next time, but maybe like Brewers uniforms or something. Could have offered you a future draft pick. True. Uh, a uh, draft pick to be named later. But I'm going to go with Thomas Pannone for my next pick. He's a left-handed pitcher. They signed him this offseason coming off a year where he spent some time in Korea pitching for the Kia Tigers. And the other half of the year he spent in Worcester. In, in I think that's in Massachusetts. It's a Red Sox affiliate. Triple A. He had about a four and a half ERA in AAA, but then was much more successful in Korea. Had a two seven ERA across eighty innings as a starter. So, I mean, that's pretty good success. Granted, Korea is not quite the level Japan is, but it's still a pretty solid league. I mean, we saw Lynn Bloom come back and not have a whole lot of success, but 
I mean, if Thomas Fanone comes back and, and gets some innings in the major league level, like, that'd be that'd be a pretty successful outcome for him. He has some major league time with Toronto. He's got an ERA up around five and a half across 49 games in 2018 and 19 with the Blue Jays. So I think there's a, a reasonably good chance that he makes it to the majors, especially with Kobe Milner expected to be the only lefty in the bullpen with, with Askey out to start the year. Yeah, I think definitely left-handed, of course, plays in plays into that. I'm going to stick with uh, pitchers here on the pitcher's theme with the third pick. I'm going to be selecting J.C. Mejia. And if you're thinking that, that name sounds familiar. Who is, again, J.C. Mejia? Brewer signed him last year before the 2022 season. Uh, unfortunately, he was suspended. Didn't appear for the Brewers at all in 2022. Brewers re-signed him again in 2023. Actually, I take that back. Sorry. Did he appear in 2022 briefly for the Brewers? Yeah, I, I think like 10 games. Okay, yeah. So uh, I think he appeared a little bit last year uh, for the Brewers. So it's pos- possible I think we'll see him come back at some point, um, and he'll likely, I'm sure, start in AAA uh, at, at the start of the year. But he's got some stuff. Um, I think he's, there's still some potential upside for a guy like Mejia, and so maybe the Brewers give him a shot at some point if he performs well in AAA this year. Going to go with another pitcher. I feel like the the Brewers' depth in the position players are largely stored on the forty man, so we're yeah. we're going more the pitcher route. That's I, I don't think that's too uncommon, but I'm going with former Brewer, another familiar face. See if you can guess it. With the coming set, the lefty, kind of hard to see in the little frame. It's Alex Claudio. If you remember, he'd always come set like that. I need my yes. glove or something, or just a bigger bigger shot. <laughs> um, it's kind of hard with just a face, but he he made 83 appearances for the Brewers in 2019, which was, I think, before the three batter minimum rule. So that surely hurt his stock a little bit, but 83 appearances still led all of MLB. He had a 406 ERA and pitched 19 innings in the shortened 2020 season as well. Spent some time in the majors in both 2021 and 22 across um, 36 innings with the Angels and Mets had about a five and a half ERA, but was a little bit more successful in AAA and kind of like Pannone because of his left-handed status. He could be someone who ends up being put on the roster because they need a lefty. Maybe Hobie Milner doesn't perform well. Maybe Hobie gets hurt. You have to have at least one lefty in the bullpen. So if Ashby's not back, I think Claudio or Pannone are those guys I I figure it's kind of like when you go on a test and you're like, okay, it's this one, you're, you're matching them, and you're like, I'm not sure. I'm going to put the same answer for both because then I'll get one or the other. So if Hobie Milner, something happens to Hobie Milner, I'm taking both lefties so that I get it right either way if, if Hobie goes down. So hopefully I'm covering my bases with uh, Alex Claudio after my Thomas Pannone pick. Yeah, I think you, I think you should be. I was debating going Claudio or Mejia. I think definitely Claudio for the lefty. Mejia's probably the better reliever at this point, but doesn't mean he'll necessarily even see the major leagues at this point. So I feel like that was kind of the, uh, those six were like the clear six favorites. And now we enter the Jonathan Davis era of the draft. Davis was our (laughs) second best player last year. I know, I know. And he was late, I think late in the, the draft. That was, yeah, I think you picked him maybe second last pick or something like that. Um, he wasn't Mr. Irrelevant, but a bit, a bit that way. And, and after after those six players, like I said, 
you've kind of got some interesting names left, but there's a lot of question marks as far as who exactly will fit in where. You've got a couple additional relievers. I'm going to switch back to position players. I agree. There's a lot of depth the Brewers have. But I'll throw a shot out here uh, with Alex Jackson, a name that many of you would be familiar with. Actually, believe it or not, first-round draft pick by the Mariners in 2014, uh, but essentially is just a depth catcher at this point. Brewers, of course, acquiring William Contreras over the offseason. Victor Caratini will slot in number two spot behind the dish. So Jackson will find himself in AAA with Peyton Henry. Um, and a third catcher, too, as well, that, that I believe in AAA, right? Yeah, so yeah, they'll probably have three catchers in AAA. I don't know that Brian Navarreto is going to get picked in this draft. Sorry, Brian. But if, if, if Henry <laughs> goes down, if Caratini or Contreras goes down, catching is one of those things where it's you're kind of locked into that position. So Jackson's probably that guy. Now he was, I think he was sixth overall in, in the 2014 draft, or as we often refer to it as the Cody Medeiros draft. Yes. So a lot of swing and miss in his profile. Um, Alex Jackson has to be like one of my least favorite brewers. Like, <laughs> not the, oh, so hopefully his, his mom's not listening, but it's yeah, not, right. not nothing personal about it, but I just didn't really like us trading for him. I, I kind of understood it because of the catching situation, but then I was like, why are we getting him? Like he hasn't really done anything. He still hasn't really done anything, but I, he's, he's played the majors and I have not played in the majors. So good for Alex Jackson. My fourth pick, I am going to go with Eddie Alvarez, the former Olympic speed skating silver medalist at the 2014 Sochi Olympics and 2020, 2020 or 2021 Tokyo Olympic gold, wait, gold medalist? Did he win? Silver medalist? Not medal, medalist of some sort for the baseball. So he, he was the first. Uh, he was the first major leaguer who won an Olympic medal in a sport other than baseball since Jim Thorpe, believe it or not. Jim Thorpe, formerly of the Milwaukee Brewers of the American Association back in like 1911 or something. But Eddie Alvarez is a second baseman, a little bit of shortstop, played a little bit with the Dodgers last year, spent some time in 2020 and 21 with the Marlins at the major league level. He actually kind of, he, he didn't really grow up in Milwaukee, but he, he grew up in Miami and he spent a lot of time at the Pettit Ice Center um, out near, pretty close to the ballpark. So to the point where he said that from ages eight to 15, he was spending nearly every other weekend during the school year and extended time during the summer in Milwaukee just to train. His parents bought a house in the neighborhood near Pettit Ice, Ice Center so he's got some some ties to Milwaukee, which is pretty interesting. Has to be a more unique story than really any other brewer. He he roller skated around the clubhouse um, a couple of days ago. The video was around Twitter. That was pretty funny. So I, is he going to get at bats? I don't know. Did I take him just because I wanted to tell the story of Eddie Alvarez? Maybe partially. But <laughs> parody pick for Eddie Alvarez. But hey, he's, I mean, he's played in the majors each of the last three years, so he's at least got a shot. If if some of the guys go down, if if Toro gets hurt, if if Miller underperforms, you never know. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I'm going to go with a, a lesser known name here with my uh, second to last pick here, number five, 
Tiago Vieira, uh, former White Sox, uh, 29-year-old right-handed reliever from Brazil, actually. Um, and like I said, former Willie with the White Sox, appeared in the major leagues with them for two years uh, and debuted originally in 2017 with the Mariners. Bit of a long shot, at this, I think, at this point to appear, but he has appeared in the past in the big leagues, and we'll see if the Brewers uh, do choose to call him up later on this year. Yeah, he had a pretty successful three-year stint in Japan with the Yomiuri Giants, where he was teammates with Justin Smoke and Eric Thames. So he, he's he got some Brewer connections. And I don't know if the Brewers have ever had a Brazilian, so it could be a first. Um, I will go with Lucas Urseg with my next pick. Urseg was a second-round pick back in, when was that, 2015 maybe? 2016, the Corey Ray draft. He um, he was a third baseman at the time, but he also was a closer for his college team at Menlo College, an AI school. And then they converted him to being a pitcher in 20, I don't know, 2021. It, it was sometime recently. And since yeah. then, he's been pretty good. He oh, he did pitch at, at California also before he transferred to his NAI. But he this past year... He struggled a little bit in Biloxi, 22 innings, had an ERA up at 6.5, but then was a lot better in Nashville, 39 innings, 3.4 ERA, struck out more than a batter in inning. He did walk quite a few, but he's, I mean, he's, I think he sits in the mid to upper 90s, as does everyone nowadays. And, I mean, he's got a live arm, he's in spring training, it is admittedly weird to see him on the mound, but... He could. I mean, he could. I, I could see him uh, making some appearances for the Brewers this year, especially when someone's only spent w- about one and a half years as a professional pitcher. Like, there's, he's going to probably improve significantly, um, like, more than a pitcher who's been pitching for six years at the professional level. There's never a guarantee with converted position players, but you never know. I'll take a flyer on Lucas Ersteg for our draft today. All right, yeah, definitely an intriguing one, that's for sure. With the uh, final selection, I'm going between two picks here uh, for my final pick, both a bit of a lottery ticket. But my uh, one of the guys last year in 2022 had a win-loss record of 1-15 with a 7.82 ERA. So he's kind of been around town since 2016, uh, deb- debuting in rookie ball and kind of he's been everywhere. That's Tobias Myers. I'm gonna pass on Tobias Myers after the one in 15 win loss last year, and uh, pick uh, Tyler Herb, position starting pitcher and left fielder. So uh, apparently he's a bit of a swing man himself. Drafted by the Mariners in the 29th round, out of Coastal Carolina, and uh, I really don't know a whole lot about him, but he pitches and he also plays in the field. I actually surprised he appeared in Biloxi and Nashville last year with finding some success in Biloxi uh, in a brief stint there. Didn't perform too well in Nashville. And he's just hasn't really been able to, unfortunately, crack his way into the major leagues since debuting in 2014. He's kind of just been everywhere. And really since, looks like he made it a AAA 2018. And since 2018 through last year, he just hasn't quite been able to, to break into the major league. So we'll see. Maybe this is the year. He'll do it, and uh, we'll see him both pitch and hit, apparently. Yeah, well, you know what they call him, the uh, the something Shohei Otani? What would be a good adjective for him? Off-brand Shohei Otani? Um, 
Spiced. Spiced. Tyler Herb. He doesn't look very spiced if you look at his picture. It looks like your your Tyler Herb would look like. Herb, Herb, whatever. <laughs> I, I don't know. I feel like everyone who plays two positions is a something Shohei Otani. Although when I looked, he played one game of left field when he was at Coastal Carolina. And his baseball reference page says pitcher left field. So he actually hasn't played professionally on the field at all. But he gets There's still left field, I guess. So um, that concludes your draft. And with my last pick, I will take – look over, make sure I'm not forgetting anyone. I'll take – yeah, sure. I'll go, I'll go with Colin Ray. The Brewers legend, you probably remember him from his one outing in 2021. Probably not. I'd be impressed for anyone who does. He was called up because someone got hurt, I think, at the end of 2021. They called him up for the last game. You know how when they're when you're going to make the playoffs, the last game is like, let's throw the last guy on the roster because he's not going to be pitching, especially now without September call-ups. So he came in out of the bullpen and went six innings, five runs out of the pen. <laughs> He's <laughs> like, okay, just throw out, go out there and throw. So that that was that's the extent of his Brewers career. Um, he did have five strikeouts and no walks, so good for Colin Ray. Two home runs though. I don't even know who they played, but then he after that year he went to Japan. Last year he played for the Fukuoka SoftBank Hawks, where he had a ERA right around four in a hundred innings as a starter. So. Reasonable success in Japan back in the majors or minors now. They could call him up Jason Alexander-esque, as is pretty much everyone on this draft. <laughs> so Colin Ray, we'll take a flyer, a six-round flyer on him, and then we're going to be very upset when we realize that Tobias Myers, Brian Navarreto, Andrew Monasterio, John Singleton, Josh Van Meter, Sky Bolt, and Monte Harrison – are the seven non-roster invites that get major league at bats? Yes, because they are the we, seven that we did not pick. Yeah, and I think that I think that's highly unlikely, but uh, it could happen. I mean, one of those guys could. You never know in baseball. You never know, but uh, I guess I think it's pretty likely. I really, I think there were six guys that have a a decent shot um, that we that we discussed. So. There we have it, our second annual non-roster invitee draft. And uh, should be a good episode next week. I'm excited for that one. We're going to – Dave is going to be sharing his predictions for the year. I will be as well. I'll give you a, a brief glimpse into that. David's got Garrett Mitchell stealing 40-plus bags uh, next year. So you can hear more about uh, David's thoughts on Garrett Mitchell, what we can expect to see from him next year, and the rest of the young bunch of players coming up. Um, as well as comparing Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff to Robin Yount and Paul Molitor. That's a, an interesting take. So I'm excited to hear David share that. I, like I said, I'm, I'm excited for, for next week. We'll pretty much have our full season prediction. Should be our best podcast, I think, uh, of the off season. And really just a couple, few episodes left before opening day comes. David, any final thoughts here uh, before we go? Yeah, always good when final thoughts end with Russell Brannion. You know what they say, like you – you remember the beginning of a podcast, and you remember the end of a podcast. So the beginning was, was Del Crandall, but the end is Russell Brannion, and it's hard to top Russell Brannion. Uh, I was looking through some leaders uh, in terms of slugging, and there are only five brewers who have had a single season, minimum 150 plate appearances, 
with a better slugging percentage than Russell Brannion in 2008. He had a 583 slugging percentage. Those five players ahead of him are Jeff Jenkins, Ryan Braun, Chris Davis, Christian Yelich, and Prince Fielder. Which, by the way, Christian Yelich had a 671 slugging in 2019, which is remarkable. I mean, the, the average that year was like 550, I feel like, but it was still crazy. He led the league in, in slugging. Uh, we, we won't talk about how good is Christian Yelich going to be this year, like every Brewers podcast talks about every week, including us oftentimes. But <laughs> 2008, Russell Brannion was very good, even in a limited playing time role, had was worth 1.3 war and hit 250 with a 583 slugging. He had uh, 12 home runs in 150 at-bats. So you prorate that over 650 at-bats, and that's what, 57 home runs, something like that. So, I mean, why not? Why, why didn't they give him everyday playing time? I don't know. Maybe, right. maybe we would have seen right. him get everyday playing time if it was – 2023, but unfortunately, we'll never know. I don't, I don't think we're going to see 47-year-old Russell Brandon come out of retirement. Probably probably fair to say as well, and a, a good one to end on in Russell Brandon. Uh, Team Mexico up 3-1 to one against Team USA at the moment. Urias uh, 0 for 2, Telez with a base hit. Um, so Brewers, uh, Brewers are, I guess, present in that matchup in Mexico. Currently up on Team USA. Uh, I'm sure that'll You'll have the results of that, of course, as the podcast is released. But like I said, tune back in next week for our next podcast. Uh, David should have more coming out on Substack out as well soon. You can find us at The Barrel MKE pretty much everywhere. Uh, And until then, this is Peter and David Go signing off. As always, go Brewers.